Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello, and welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And today we're bringing you part two of the Liberty of Norton Folgate, Madness's magnum opus. So in part one, we went over the album tracks. And I think that that was a, that was a really good episode. I, I'm glad that we got to go in depth. Polly, is there anything that, uh, that you want to throw in? Any feelings on, uh, on the previous episode? No, not so much. Um... Okay. Well, was, I mean, for us, it was about 10 minutes ago, but for our listeners, it was two weeks ago. Uh, we we're recording this pretty far in advance. So in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about tracks that were on the box set that weren't on the album release. And we're also gonna talk about the Julian Temple documentary film, The Liberty of Norton Fulgate, that was made along with this album. As we had, uh, had learned in the last episode, so Madness had created their own label called Lucky Seven. After they had released their single, Sorry, then they started working on this concept album that would become The Liberty of Norton Fulgate. Since they had their own label, this gave them a certain amount of freedom that they would not have had had they been working for a major label. One of the things that this gave them the freedom to do was to sell pre-orders on their website for the box set of Liberty of Norton Folgate. And they started selling these, I believe it was in 2008. Now, don't quote me on that. The album hadn't been completed yet. In fact, they had really just kind of started recording it. There were a lot of changes and a lot of revisions. The boys were really being perfectionists. You know, they were revising the track order. They had something like, I think it was 22 tracks and they had to whittle it down to be album length. So they really had to be playing around with like the song order, with the recordings. Because they were such perfectionists, this really took a while. This wasn't, you know, they weren't adhering to a typical record label schedule, they say, you know, okay, well, your release date is X. You have to have the album done by X. And I think that's a good thing, you know, that they were really able to work with these songs and to perfect them. But then the downside was the release date kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And the people that pre-ordered the box set, I think we're starting to get a little bit nervous. So what the band had done uh, very early in 2009 is to the people that had pre-ordered the box set, they released a preliminary 12-track kind of taster teaser, if you will, of some of the tracks that would later appear on the Liberty of Norton Folgate. They weren't all the finished versions. At least one of the tracks uh, ended up being very different on the album. And, and the track order hadn't been decided on yet. But that was something that allowed the listeners to um, 
satiate their appetites a little bit. You know what I mean? For the music that they had paid for. Now, eventually, after much hemming and hawing and revision, they finally released uh, The Liberty of Norton Fulgate in October 2009. And what they did is they released the 15-track album, which Polly, you and I had talked about last episode. But then they also released a three-disc box set. And in the box set, the tracks are in a slightly different order. The box set does include all 15 tracks that we talked about last time. But it also includes a number of uh, additional tracks that were good, but maybe not quite good enough to make the cut for the 15. And then the third disc includes a bunch of demos and also some live tracks from the Hackney Empire shows, which would become the documentary film. So I'm kind of rambling a little bit and Polly's kind of given me the wrap it up look, but the reason that I'm mentioning this now is because what we're going to listen to today are going to be tracks mostly from the box set now not entirely but mostly from that box set that would be on disc two that were not on the initial release so if you bought just the standard 15 track release you're not going to be hearing these songs but there's some really good music here so we wanted to go into that as well so the first song we're going to listen to actually is not on the box set now when i bought the digital download of the liberty of norton fulgate i bought it from amazon.com and there were actually 16 tracks, okay? So 15 was the 10-minute Liberty of Norton Fulgate epic suite, right? Track 16 was Bittersweet. Now, this was also um, the B-side for the single, the NW5 single that they released in 2007. And it was recorded during the Danger Men sessions. So let's listen to Bittersweet. I used to cry I used to cry alone Watch my face as I grow liked it um, because it's a cover of the uh, the Damien O'Neill I think it's Damien one of the O'Neills from the undertones wrote that song with the undertones version it was a real departure for them from uh, poppy punk to I guess what you would just call up straight up pop uh, ballad and madness then took that and made it a great deal more upbeat and um, I think really added, added an awful lot to it. Not to mention, I think they cut the length of the sound down, by, a song down by probably like three minutes. Um, so it's a fantastic song. Uh, I think we've mentioned the undertones once, if not twice now. Um, and uh, anybody who remembers that knows I'm, I'm a huge fan. So I was very happy to see Madness do a cover of them. All right, so that again was not on the box set. That was in the digital download in some 
formats, including Amazon.com, and it was the B-side of the NW5 single. What's up next, Polly? Uh, so what would be up next is a Suggs and uh, Barson composition. It's Let's Go. Painting the soles of your Dr. Martin's white Rolling up Hampstead High Street on a Saturday night Black bombers and blues and a packet of seeds The Saturday nights of them Elodie Geeks Bazooka Joe, Deaf School in Shannon Kilburn and the High Roads and we drove your daddy's car Past proto-punks and in Teddy In fairground reggae noise Well let's go And let's go Let's go Come on and let's go So that's Let's Go and it's as though they're polishing their name dropping skills on that. So they refer to Bazooka Joe Deaf School, Shanana, and Kilburn and High Roads all in that song. Deaf School, that was Suggs's wife's band, Betty Bright. That it was. Yeah. And I remember Shanana. Man, my dad used to love their show on TV. Oh my I, goodness. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the um, television variety show was a big part of the 70s. I watched that. Uh, the Jackson Five, Sonny and Cher. Man, the list goes on and on. Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters. You remember yeah, their show? Yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah. Whatever happened to variety shows? I mean, we have Saturday Night Live, but... I don't know that. And in fact, there's been a couple of basic cable television shows trying to revive the variety show genre. Um, Maybe audiences in 2021 just don't have the patience for it. I mean, why sit through you know, a comedian and then a band and then, you know, a, a, a juggler or whatever, when you can just go to YouTube and go right to what it is you want, right? I mean, we're all about instant gratification now. Maybe that's... Uh... I, I suppose you are right in that. And people are, I wouldn't say selective so much as, yes, I think they know what they want. They want it right then. All right, well, back to let's go. <laughs> this was one of the tracks in the box set on disc two right i that it was yeah so it's uh yeah it's that sort of we're out and about teenagers on a saturday night sort of thing so that's uh you know references bowling up hampstead high street on saturday night black bombers and booze and a pack of cigs um and Lori. so this is uh, apparently it just escapes nobody because laurie in the notes has that it is reminiscent of Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn theme, and referring to my notes, uh, exactly the same thing. It's not even, I think, mildly, you know, just a bit of skew of Peter Gunn. I think that's exactly Peter Gunn. Okay, so we both came to the same conclusion independently. Absolutely, yeah. All right. I really like the song, but I'm confused by the opening line, painting the souls of your Dr. Martin's white. Doc Martin's are expensive. I have had Doc Martens ruined by acrylic paint before. Why would you paint the soles of them white? Is that like a, an indication that you're in a gang or something? I don't know. I don't know, but people paint docs all the time. 
but I, I don't know that I could speak to why they would think it's old play. Somebody out there is probably going to tell us. I'm sure they will. I like this song though. I think that uh, this is a good quality song. I mean, I can kind of see where maybe it doesn't fit into the original 15, but it's still a good song in its own right. Don't you think? I, I do agree with you on that. Okay. So next up, this is another uh, track from the CD box set. This is called Mission from Hell. Let's listen. Goes unnoticed past all authority Armed to the teeth An explosive with deranged motive For whole nations to grieve In disbelief But don't tell me you can't read The telltale signs talk about what I think this song is about. Polly, what do you think of Mission from Hell? I, I do like it, but it's a fairly uh, disjuncted, if that's a word, um, song. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely got that brill building uh, Motown sound to it. Um, yet, uh, you know, it's a fairly, fairly dark lyrically. And I think that's probably what you're getting at with what your, your thoughts of the, the theme of the song are. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics really seem to be about a terrorist attack, don't they? He goes unnoticed, past all authority, armed to the teeth, and explosive with deranged motive. I've heard this song many times, but this is the first time I'm really paying attention to the lyrics, which were uh, written by Lee Thompson and Mike Barson. Wow, yeah, this is really, really bleak, because I'm knock knocking at number 10. That's uh, number 10 Downing Street, which is the reference of the British prime minister. I confess I did not know that. That's like the equivalent of us saying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. All right, so the next one we're gonna talk about, it would be Seven Dials. Let's take a listen. Oh, won't you take a short walk with me? Stroll down to the seven dials And by the light of the waning moon We'll see strange people and strange times And what strange times It really doesn't matter where I've been I can only tell you what I've seen And it may come now as some surprise To see what's really going on in Where the rookeries and narrow alleys So that is a Suggs and Barson composition that refers to Seven Dials, which is a road junction in the West End of London. 
and referring to Wikipedia, it says seven streets converge at the roughly circular junction at the center of which is a column bearing six sundials. The column had been commissioned for a late stage alteration of the plans from an original six roads to seven. There you go. That references the name. So what do you think about the song though, Lori? You know, it's funny. It's a decent song, but for some reason, there's something about it that it just wipes from my memory after I've listened to it, right? And so I listened to it again a couple days ago to put together the information for this. And I thought, okay, yeah, this is good. And now as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm struggling to call up in my mind because you and I, we edit in the music later. So you and I aren't actually listening to the music as our listeners are listening to it. I can't for the life of me remember it. I don't know what it is about this song. It's like, it's like the silence in Doctor Who, you know, it just hear it and it's just wiped from my memory. I don't know. Again, maybe this is, you know, maybe, maybe the, the pain meds from my broken leg are contributing to that. I don't know. I mean, it's good, but it's, it's forgettable, I guess, literally. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? So it, it does have a similar instrumentation um, and a break in there, uh, similar to My Girl 2. Maybe it's uh, not forgettable so much as it's a uh, lesser attempt at the same style of music, depending, unless you don't like My Girl 2. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of things don't make the cut on albums and a valiant attempt, but maybe it's just not up there as being one of their better and more memorable ones in your case. Was it memorable to you? No, I had to I had to get it out and listen to it again today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So then that takes us to our, our next song, which is The Hunchback of Toriano. Toriano. It was written by Lee Thompson and Woody Woodgate. What do you think of this one, Polly? Well, you know, uh, I guess the first thing is right off the bat, it's got that high reverb, almost surf guitar sound to it. And um, I'm always in favor of hearing a little bit more of Chris. So I like it for that reason alone. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not one I, um, well, except for today when I pulled the album out and re-listen to a lot of stuff um, it's not one i go back to an awful lot but uh, i think it's a solid song i had to look up toriano right because i'm thinking torino right which is turin new no, new no, no. it turns out toriano avenue is in kentish town which is an nw5 
So it fits with the theme of the album. But I'm thinking, is this about a heroin user? Well, since you've chosen to burn the spoon, I don't have time, no, neither the room. But this time, no, I can't bail you out. So, I mean, it sounds like that this is about somebody that is, well, burning the spoon. To me, that would be heroin. So I guess the hunchback is actually a drug user and has kind of gotten a bad reputation for being like, you know, like the neighborhood druggy, I guess, and somebody that people want to stay away from. I don't know. That's my interpretation. All right. Uh, so next up that we're going to talk about, it is Fish and Chips. It's a Chaz smash composition. Let's take a listen. Taken of the waters and have you found a pleasant glade? Will we take a pint of porter? Mines of pims and lemonade. Would you like a bag for ten man? It's the nuts, it's premium grade. If you do, lally love, boy, come and join the fish and chip parade. All right, Laurie. I'm gonna let the listeners in on a little bit. Lori did up the notes for today's episode and um, the little uh, details underneath that we read off of sometimes, she has written, yeah, I got nothing. Um, so Lori, why do you got nothing on fish and chips? I, it seems like it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I don't need to do any research. I don't need to, I mean, it's fish and chips, right? It's, it's a goofy song. I mean, it's a fun song. I don't know that I need to listen to it over and over, you know, but I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's just a fun kind of interlude between some of the more serious Hunchback of Toriano, Mission from Hell. This kind of is a nice respite. There you go. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, yeah. A little sidetrack probably for them. Uh, you referenced the Beatles earlier. I would kind of sum this up as being, uh, Sergeant Smash's Nutty Farts Pub Band, probably. Oh, and you're not, you, you do not dare tell me to edit that out because that's staying in. That's good. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I, I do find myself very clever. All right. Well, we can be done with that. Let's go on to One Fine Day.
Holly, what do you think of One Fine Day? I'm happy with the song. Um, I can see where it didn't, um, uh, it probably didn't jive uh, with the rest of the album, which is probably why they left it out. Doesn't seem to have much to do with any, uh, anything in the story, but you never know. They may have just done a bunch of recording to see where they could have uh, meshed things together and um, they, they decided on some other stuff. It's fair enough. I really think that this is another one of those autobiographical songs. It seems like it's an introspective of the entire band. You know, they're taking stock of where they've been and where they're going. And I love the lyric, before they're dancing on our graves, let's spend time and money that we will never save. You know, we've done all this, we, we've paid our dues. Let's have some fun now. You know, let, let's spend the time and money that we've worked so hard to earn before we're dead, before they're dancing on our graves. And I like to, I can kind of tie this back to uh, two episodes ago where we uh, interviewed Steve Martin. So Steve Martin, again, was the, is the band's tour manager. And, you know, he was kind of talking about how there are certain things that they don't spare expenses on. And one of them is catering, you know, that they want to make sure that the band is well-fed and that the bar is well stocked backstage, right? He said that their dressing rooms kind of look like a, an off license, which is a, a British name for a liquor store. And that really kind of is the same idea, you know, that, hey, we have worked very hard. Let's eat like kings. You know what I mean? Let's enjoy what we have. This is one of those things that's going to make our life a little bit more pleasurable. What do you think of it, Polly? I, I guess I would just uh, say yes to everything you had said there. Uh, yeah, it That's does good. seem. <laughs> I, I wish my husband would uh, would learn that, but <laughs> kidding, sweetheart. Love you. Well, we've, we've got like 1,800 miles between us. It's a little easier for me to do. <laughs> um, you know, I almost think, and I'm probably going to regret this as soon as I say this, I almost think I would rather have seen this track on the album than Rainbows. But you do raise a valid point, Polly, that it does kind of seem inconsistent with the rest of the themes of the band. So for me, it's a matter of personal preference. Liking the song better, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would have fit better with the overall theme. And I think that's kind of what you were saying when you said it, it, it really kind of doesn't fit. Yeah? Yes, thanks for agreeing with me. See, that's the secret now. You make them think that you agree with them. No, <laughs> All right. What's next? All right. So the next song we'll talk about is The Kiss, and it is a, another Suggs and Barson composition. It was a cold November evening as I walked into that bar I saw you talking with your friends So near and yet so far Why did I feel I knew you? Why did I want to tell you When I know we haven't met Don't know if you even saw me Did you even see me? It was just a passing moment But it felt like forever I was like a drowning how life flashes before him Except it was your life I knew everything about you Even friends and places That I know I've never seen 
uh, so I know I can sum up what I think about it rather quickly. Uh, but Lori, why don't you take a crack at it first? Well, there's definitely a tension there, isn't there? It's kind of this unrequited love or unrequited passion. I mean, maybe not even the word love, because it sounds to me like it's about meeting a stranger at a bar and just feeling this immediate longing and attraction. It's I'm under the impression from listening to the song, it's never really fulfilled, this idea of what might have been. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's, there's a tension there. I mean, it's it's an interesting interesting tension it's not something i'm normally accustomed to in a madness song what do you think uh yeah so um i think it's almost it serves as like the rough draft to um never knew your name Ooh, yeah yeah i mean it's very nearly identical um thematically and also that sort of uh pseudo disco uh beat going on to it so yeah that's, yeah. that's all I got. Okay. Well, so that's interesting then. So we have two here that kind of, we see the seeds of future madness songs in a manner of speaking, right? We have this one, The Kiss, which I didn't make the connection, but now that you've said that, yes, I totally see it. Never Knew Your Name, which is on Wee Wee, CC, Ja Ja Da Da. And then also, what was the other one that you made that connection with? Seven Dials. Seven Dials, My Girl Too, right? Which was another song yeah. off of that future album. I think. I've already no, forgot. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay. Ooh, keep keep saying that. Keep <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. So those seven tracks were on disc two of the Liberty of Norton Folgate box set. And I think there many of them are good songs in their own right nothing that's really you know standalone kind of single material but for a madness collector i think i can see why why they would want to have these right yeah uh well i mean as you uh know anybody who noodles around online looking for rare uh madness one-offs oddities um uh yeah so if you've noodled around online looking for madness rarities you know there's there's really no shortage of them, mm. um, you know, uh, between uh, tracks that didn't make albums, B-sides, the whole bit like that, bootlegs, there's, you know, an, a good site dedicated to just madness bootlegs. Uh, being a collector of many things myself, I'll never be satisfied knowing there's something out there that I don't have. So, yeah, and I'm happy to have the box set too. So if I'm not mistaken, Polly, the box set, which I do not own, is three CDs and then one vinyl LP, is that correct? Yes, and I don't have it in front of me. So the LP has, I think only 12 of the tracks. Oh, does it really? It. So I can't, I can't off the top of my head, can't name what's, what's missing from it. This, other bands have done this too, and this pisses me off. Why put CDs and vinyl in the same box set? I don't understand that. Because if you're buying CDs, you probably aren't a collector who uses vinyl LPs. And if you're one of the hipsters that is back on this vinyl kick, you probably don't want the CDs. Why package all of these together and force people to buy both? That makes me, as a consumer, that makes me frustrated. Yeah. Um... I, I don't know that I can speak to that, especially since it was such a peculiar choice to not have all the um, 
not all the tracks on LP. They're in a very different order too on the LP. The Liberty of Norton Folgate was stuck right in the middle, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the last song on the first side. Boy, it would have been great if I would have just gotten that out. So I was looking at it. No, that's okay. Time. That's all right. I don't understand why bands do this. Except, you know, unless it's a way to, to boost sales. I don't know. I don't know. It's really kind of ironic. I mean, I'm old enough to remember vinyl records and how shitty they sound. Now all these hipsters are like, oh, it sounds better in vinyl. It sounds better on vinyl. You're, no. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I can speak to that. I own a lot of vinyl. And if there's anything very precious to me, I make, uh, make it a point to have, um, have it on vinyl. But uh, my ears over the years uh, have, you know, I don't know that I can listen to anything and uh, pick up the different levels of fidelity in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but that's maybe just me being old. But I tend to have a tendency to want to buy vinyl for the largeness of it and for the liner notes and things like that. So yeah, I can, I can, I can see your point. Uh, I can take it or leave it. All right. And I'm sure I'm going to get lots of tweets and, and Facebook messages and emails about what are you talking about? Vinyl is superior. Okay. Whatever, dude. Yeah. Just um, don't, right. don't, don't lump me in with hipsters getting on the vinyl bandwagon uh, on account of I never stopped since oh. the, since the seventies. Um, aside, aside from my record collection getting stolen, my, freshman year of college. But so I guess you could say that since uh, 1989, I've really not stopped buying vinyl. Okay, all right. And that's right around the time I gave up vinyl. All right, so now moving on, uh, the next track that I wanna play is, well, it's from that 12 track download that the band gave to people that pre-ordered the box set. Uh, so this is another version of On the Town. It is not the version that we listened to uh, last episode. It's not the version that was on the final album. Let's listen. Oh, it's early in the morning. It's raining and the streetlights streaming through my windows, casting shadows on the ceiling. The room is oh so empty, stand against the wall. The clock is ticking loudly. It's deafening in this quiet room. Oh, how long have I been waiting? So late, every minute I've had to wait Has been an eternity, but now you're back again with me The clock says 5.15, now won't you tell me where you've been Won't you tell me where you've been Okay, so Polly, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this one uh, so the vocalist on there was Amber Jolene. And I do remember this version from a few years ago and then I subsequently stopped, you know, remembering to look for it because I've only been, uh, only seen it online. So I think I've listened to it on YouTube. 
But Amber Jolene, uh, I tried looking up a little bit about her um, for this episode, and it would appear she's a bit of a gun for hire sort of thing. Uh, it's as though she mostly guests on other people's things, but maybe that's just because I didn't dig deep enough, but I was looking for actually any original material of hers, didn't really come up with anything. Uh, but what I find really endearing about her voice is her vocal delivery, well, for one, it seems a great deal different than what I've found um, like on YouTube looking uh, researching for this episode. But her uh, vocal delivery almost goes into the cockney spectrum on a lot of um, uh, on a lot of her, her track. So uh, I find it really, really endearing. And I find it, it offers almost a little bit of a different context of the song, almost like uh, she, she definitely sounds like she has a bit of a streetwise uh, sort of, I came up from nothing type of sound. And if you put that in your mind as going along with the narrative of the song, it's, it's radically different than the Rhonda Dakar. So uh, I, I like it. I like it. I think it's oh. kind of cool. Okay. And, you know, and that kind of goes back to what I said in the last episode where I was kind of comparing this to Don't You Want Me by the Human League. You know, I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. That much is true. But even then, I knew I'd find a much better place either with or without you. And again, that's kind of goes along with what you were saying about here's this woman that's kind of brought herself up from nothing. And, you know, it kind of has a different feel to it. Polly, you're gonna hate me for saying this, and I, I, I you, you're gonna, you're gonna be mad. Um, I like this version much better. I do not like the Rhoda Dakar version. Uh, I find her voice very nasally. And I know I, I he's given me the look. Um, I, I mean, I know she's two tone royalty, and I get why they put that version on the album. But I will take this version over that version any day. You'll, you'll get no argument from me. Um, oh. No, I mean, I don't necessarily favor this version over the album version. Um, I'd say uh, they they both have their merits, and if you want to like this this one better, you have my blessing. It's quite all right. Okay, well, because I know you 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 have uh, you have very passionate feelings towards Roda Dakar, right? Well, I did. <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't mean to imply anything that, you know, Mrs. Polly is going to have to feel. No, upset. no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's not as though um, I'm, I'm banking on running into Rona uh, uh, at some point. <laughs> so. so anyway, as we mentioned, this last tune that we listened to, this On the Town, that was the download that was part of that sampler of the album. And it was a reward for fans who had ponied up the cash early for the box set. So it was not available on any of the albums, either the CD or the box set. So that brings us to the Julian Temple film. From Regis Mouth Most down to Baker Street Down to the cross where all the pipes might meet 
to Summer's Town where some things never stop. The Roundhouse of Hereford Bar in Camden Rock. Okay, so the film. There's actually like a, a CD DVD box set that was released, and the film is one of the discs. Again, this is one of those, I think it's region two DVDs where you need a, uh, an all region DVD player. You can't play it on a standard American DVD player. But um, this was actually filmed prior to the release of the album. So for three nights, June 24th through 26th in 2008, Madness performed live shows at the historic Hackney Empire Theater, which was a stone's throw away from Norton Folgate. And they went all out for this show. I mean, they had uh, performers, they had people in Victorian costumes. They were scattered among the crowd and in the gallery boxes. They were singing, they were juggling. At times they were heckling the show, but that was part of the show. It was interesting to me to read about this because this was at the time unreleased material other than the single NW5, most of the audience would not have heard this material. So imagine being a Madness fan in 2008 and hearing, oh, there's this exclusive three night show and then showing up with no idea what to expect. And you have all these Victorian dressed performers everywhere and this entire set, three acts of music that you've never heard before in these shows so the first set of the show was this unreleased material from the upcoming album the liberty of norton folgate and after that they played a second set with their classic madness tunes from their first four albums so i mean it's not to say that the people would have been leaving not hearing anything that um that they'd heard before but for the crowd this all would have been just completely new material Polly, have you watched this this uh, this film? I've got the DVD, but like you said, it uh, needs a regional a region free player. So I've seen um, it's segmented up on YouTube. So I have watched that. So there's some real, I guess, anachronisms. So like, there's two kids in the crowd dressed as the Blues Brothers, which to me that just stands out like a sore thumb. It's like. What, what does that have to do with anything? But then I guess, you know, if you're going to a madness show, you say, hey, I want to dress up as a character. Well, I guess the Blues Brothers are as good as anybody. But I mean, it's just really interesting to me. You know, I mean, the crowd is reacting very positively. And at one point during the Liberty of Norton Folgate, there's actually like almost like a mosh pit going on where I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if this footage is actually from this song or if this was from one of the part two songs where you know maybe they took that footage. Because I cannot imagine fans who've never heard it before slamming into each other the way they were for the Liberty of Norton Folgate. That seems a little bit weird. And also at the shows, uh, well, at least two of them. So Rhoda Dakar did appear to perform with Madness um, at two of the three shows. And in grand music hall tradition, the show included an eight-piece orchestra. So there we go. We have the makings of the show right there. It was decided then that they would bring Julian Temple on to direct a documentary film of the show. Now, Julian Temple is the go-to guy 
for um, every reasonably awesome uh, rock documentary, uh, at least uh, in the UK. Uh, his previous credits include uh, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, about Sex Pistols, as well as The Filth and the Fury. And uh, recently, um, and I would recommend everybody seeing it, he directed Crock of Gold about Shane McGowan from The Pogues, which is utterly fantastic. Uh, Julian Temple, by all means, uh, has had the uh, luxury of directing many, many documentaries about fantastic bands. In 2009, I'm under the impression, I'm sorry, 2008, I'm under the impression that he was a little bit controversial as a choice. The great rock and roll swindle and the filth and the fury, that actually kind of fizzled out. Audiences were upset by a lot of what took place with the Sex Pistols, and I think uh, maybe hurt his reputation a little bit. So it was really kind of an interesting choice. finished film which is just over an hour long the band played 12 songs off of what would eventually become the liberty of norton folgate album and it's divided neatly into three acts which polly as you alluded to in our previous episode that's consistent with uh not just french opera but i mean that's consistent with a lot of very traditional theater uh, three act plays i mean that's, that's very standard um, between the songs, and see, this is the part that I really enjoyed of, of this movie, is between the songs, we have Suggs and Carl wandering around in Victorian costume, taking us back in time to the London of Karl Marx and Jack the Ripper. And they have so many really beautifully written, almost poetic musings about the time and place that was the liberty of Norton Folgate. They're humorously introducing the subject of each song, but they take us on a tour through the old East End, Spitalfield, Smithfield, Wapping, Bethnal Green, ending down in the beaches of the Thames beyond the Tower Bridge. I, I like that even more than the, the, the video footage. I mean, I, that might seem a little blasphemous, but I really, I would have loved to just see just a documentary, even even if there was no music to it, just uh, Suggs and Carl, especially Carl doing that voice that he does, you know that, you know. And we've well, I, I, about- we we know we know you like. All right, Carl's- all right. Um, but it's really well executed. Those parts, those those were my favorite parts of the film. 
You can walk the entire length of Norton Folgate in a matter of minutes. And beneath your feet, through the soil, lies old London. Barbins and florins, boot soles and bones, fragments of all kinds of crap. Bits of old bombs sent from Berlin. The past is very close in Norton Folgate. It always has been. Interesting that they chose um, uh, Jack the Ripper as one of the characters. As uh, Laurie and I had mentioned, I don't know, what, a couple months ago or something like that. Of course, Liberty Norton Folgate overlaps a bit with um, Whitechapel. And um, of course, Jack the Ripper being associated with Whitechapel. And it was not lost on me being a comic book fan, having read um, from hell the amount of uh, name dropping of areas in London that occur during um, Liberty and Norton Folgate and the amount of those that are referred to in the, the book from hell. So it's an interesting read. If you want to uh, look into that to see the connections for yourself, by all means do that. Um, it's virtually exactly the same neighborhoods um, that everything in Norton Folgate is. So. so let me tell you something about myself that you probably don't know, Polly. Okay. I am obsessed with serial killers, especially Jack the Ripper. And I have read just about everything that's been written on the subject. And I can tell you the good books, I can tell you the not so good books. But yeah, the first time I was listening to The Liberty of Norton Folgate, you know, Spitalfields, Whitechapel, it's like, oh my gosh, this is Ripper territory, <laughs> right? And, and man, if I ever do go to London, Top of my list is that Jack the Ripper tour that they do. That's top of my list for sure. So, you know, I have a number of like strange obsessions and that happens to be one of them. So one other thing that Julian Temple does, back to the subject of the film, one of the thing he does that I kind of like is after he filmed the concert footage, he then projected, he went out onto the streets of London at night and projected the footage like onto walls and bridges and like an old cinema and a bunch of other stuff. And then he filmed the footage being played on like the sides of the buildings. And it's interesting, it becomes very meta, you know, that it's like we're watching a film of the film, but uh, one of the things that Julian Temple had written about why he did this, he said, as a result, the concert reaches out into the city, allowing madness to perform their songs about London's past on parts of the city which have survived into the present to a passing flow, to a passing flow of modern Londoners below. So the idea of past and present being superimposed upon each other and existing simultaneously. The idea that, you know, the space that people are passing through now, right, is the same space that these characters had passed through in Victorian times. The same space that Jack the Ripper had hunted in. And, and that was really an interesting technique. And I mean, there was, I think in the context of, of this film, I think it really works.
cobbles of a Chelsea music out of the shadows steps a figure silver mohair bright into the moonshine out into the night any other thoughts about the film Polly uh, yeah well I, I think it, it's a nice companion piece to the album certainly and uh, I would suggest everybody see it. And that would bring us to the end of another episode. After we're done saying our goodbyes, we're going to leave you with a cover of MW5 by Maddie Carty. And um, there you go. We uh, have had a fantastic time over the last two episodes reviewing the Liberty of Norton Folgate. And like Lori said, it'll go down as one of the best Magnus albums of all time. We hope you enjoyed it. And please tune in in two weeks. So the next episode that we're planning, barring any unexpected surprises, um, we're going to do an episode about Madness B-Size. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Polly, I know you are as well. That I am. Yeah, a little bit of the lesser known stuff. Uh, but nonetheless, um, there'll be an awful lot on there that people are familiar with too. So don't be discouraged or intimidated. Um, you'll find it uh, all quite familiar. All right, so on that note, thank you for listening. Goodbye for me. And goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. I will give you everything Just to see the smile you bring I will give you everything for just a song to sing I will give you everything Just to see the smile you bring I will give you everything For just a song to sing To grow up only to despise I send the madness stuck up through toppling eyes I have heard you come up believing your own lies Witness the blessing rise up in a, a very strange disguise And though you have
Strange disguise And nothing it seems like 